0: I've been given this opportunity to speak to you all from Bishop. Yes, you guys can all have a seat. Bishop had to leave out of town. So I was able to relieve him today and he was able to make it back today. Praise God. So we're going to take a brief, um, a brief detour um, from the book of Acts. I'm actually going to preach a topical sermon Uh, to be more of a teaching than a preaching. I've taught this to the youth before, so I'm familiar with it. Thank God, because it usually takes me about three weeks to prepare, and I had about two days on this one. So Um, God will be gracious. I'm confident of that. Uh, So the topic for today is repentance. We're going to talk about what repentance is and why it's important, and we're going to talk about some things that the world considers to be repentant, maybe even some folks in the church might fall into um, and from the heart level, but we're going to talk about what true repentance is as well. So we're going to start off with, um, we must learn what to do with our sins. That's a very important thing as children of God. We have to understand whenever we do sin, whenever we do sin against God or against others, which all sin is against God. But whenever we do sin, what do we do with this sin? And that's going to lead us into repent. All capital letters, you need to repent for your sins. You need to turn from it. You need to run from it. And you need to confess it. So I always tell my boys that sin will draw you away from God and it will separate you from the people that you love. And it will hurt you, it will destroy you, and it will destroy those who surround you. Um, Some of you have family members that live continually in an unrepentant state, and they are living in sin continually, practicing sinners, and it breaks your heart to see that, because you understand that there's a spiritual battle that's taking place that they may not be aware of, or they're obviously not aware of, and they're broken by that. And you have the answer, and you know what they need to do, and you know where they need to turn, But they don't, and it hurts you. Whenever you sin and your family members see you sin, it hurts them as well. So um, I want to encourage you to repent. Um, What is repentance? Repentance is to reconsider. It's to change your mind. It's a reversal of decision. It's a regret. And whenever we talk about repentance, there's repentance unto transformation and conversion. Which means that, and that's coupled with faith. So you go to this place where you are, your mind is changed. You were an individual who lived for yourself. You were selfish. You continued to do what pleased you and what was best for you. You would help others as long as it didn't detour you too much. As long as it wasn't too much of a burden to you, you would do it that's who you were before. And then whenever you have this changed mind, whenever you're converted, whenever God gives you this faith by grace and whenever he draws you out of darkness and he pursues you and he grants you repentance, you come to this place where your mind is changed and you no longer like the things that you used to like. You no longer love the things that you used to love. You begin to hate those things because God hates them. You begin to run from your sins. That's repentance, that conversion. And that's an initial thing that's done and it's done once and for all. Whenever you are converted, whenever your mind is transformed, that's initial repentance. But there's an ongoing repentance as well that needs to be practiced whenever you are convicted of sin. Whenever you are aware of your sins and whenever you are aware that you have done something that has offended someone else or you've done something that's offended God, you need to have a change of mind about what you've done. There should be some type of reversal of your decision that you made because you know that it's hurting those that you love or it's hurting God whom you should love. Amen? So the purpose of repentance is to reconcile broken relationships. That's what it's all about. To bring you back, to restore something that is broken. If you sin against your, your parents, young ones, or even those who, who are not so young, you still you sin against your parents. If you sin against your parents and you know that you've done something that's offended them and it's broken their heart and it's, it's separated, there's tension now. You you need to have a reversal of your decision. You need to do something different. You need to have a change of mind. You should go and repent to that individual as well as whenever you sin against God. It's all to reconcile that relationship, to mend that relationship. You guys can think of situations where someone has sinned against you. They've done something blatantly disrespectful. They've done something that hurts you. And they didn't seem like they cared too much about it. Or whenever you get around that person again, whenever you are back in fellowship with them, when you're in the same room with them, there's tension. There's a brokenness in relationship. And something needs to take place in order for restoration to take place, and that's repentance. Of course, there's forgiveness on their part as well, and we'll get into that. But initially, the one who has done the offending needs to repent. Amen? You need to have a change in your mind. You need to have a reversal of your decision and what you've done to offend them. And we should be sensitive to that as children of God. Now, the greatest and most significant relationship that needs to be restored is your relationship with God, the one who created you. And there is only one God. It's the God of the Scriptures. And from birth, we've, we've been separated from this God because of the fall of Adam. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, And I'll read that. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that man is talking about Adam. Adam is not a mythical character, church. Adam was the first man ever created by God. And he was in the Garden of Eden, and he lived there perfectly in harmony with God. And he rebelled against God, and he sinned against God, and the human race inherited that sin. So as long as your father is a man... You are a sinner by nature. And we've done that show of hands before, whenever I preached another time. I said, how many of you guys have a father who is a man? Raise your hand. And everybody raised their hand. There was no saviors up in here. Um, so, and death through sin, this is the rest of verse 12, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So because of that sin, we become enemies of God. The Bible says we're at enmity with God because we're sinful creatures. If you think it's not fair, I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. I didn't choose to create myself. I'm just grateful that I'm here. Amen? So if you guys guys understand that whenever there's a broken relationship with there, it's because of the fall of humanity back in the Garden of Eden. Now, what I want to get into, church, is I want to get into seven types of false repentance, things that you should be aware of. And if you are doing any of these seven types of false repentance, if this is where your heart is at, this is a heart check, then you should repent of that, <laughs> all right? And, and, you'll, and you'll see why. Um, more so, I would expect this to be some type of worldly repentance, and I would hope that it would be less in the church. So let's get right into it. Religious repentance is the first type. Of false repentance. Religious repentance says, I'm sorry for your sins. I'm broken because of your sins, but my sins they don't bother me so much. That's religious repentance. You 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 think you're in a relationship with God. This was the Pharisees. And you think you're in a relationship with God because your piety, because your own holiness, so to speak, because of your religious activities and the traditions that you're following that you've been raised up to follow. So you think you're in a relationship with God, but there's never been a heart change with you. But you see other people, and it bothers you because they're not as good as you. So you think. The best demonstration we have is, uh, from this is in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And this, um, I would like to have one of the youth read, if they don't mind. Because I like hearing the youth read. "Any volunteers? I knew R.J. would volunteer. <laughs> the bailout factor. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You might have to talk loud because you don't have a microphone. Luke eighteen, nine through fourteen. That's a clear indication of religious repentance from the Pharisee. He went into the temple, which would be the church of today. And he got up there and he had the audacity to talk to God and say, thank you that I am not like him. He didn't repent of his own sins. He went in there prideful, exalting himself and belittling someone else because he thought he was better than that individual. His eyes were blinded to his own sin. And the second man goes in not filled with pride. He's actually filled with grief. From the outside, he would be the one that really needs to repent, right? And he recognizes his sin and he humbly asks for forgiveness. He's dealing with his own sin. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that it's this man, not the other, that left justified and declared righteous in the sight of God. That's a warning to you, church. If your heart is to be prone to see other people's sins before you see your own, you should check yourself. Because that other person that you're looking at that you think you're better than might be the one leaving justified and righteous in the sight of God. While you're left holding your own righteousness, which is like filthy rags before our holy God. Amen? Pagan repentance is the second form, second type of a false repentance. Pagan repentance is where you try to make God good. It's like you manipulate the situation and God is sovereign. It's a distorted view of sovereignty. God is sovereign. He doesn't need for you, he doesn't need your approval, he doesn't owe you anything. Pagan repentance says, I know that I'm wrong and I shouldn't be dating this guy, but if I tell God sorry, then he's obligated to make them better and make the situation better. <laughs> or it says, I know I shouldn't be dating. Okay, it says, if I tell God I'm sorry, he has to heal me. You see, you think you've had a change of mind. You think that you're repentant. You think you're in a relationship with God, but your relationship is is based on a distorted view of who God is. God doesn't have to heal you because you tell him sorry. And it doesn't make you repentant if that's your mindset towards apologizing to God for the things that you've done to offend him. If I tell God I'm sorry, he has to prosper me. God is not obligated to anyone, church. So do not repent like that. Do not repent because you feel like God owes you something. You feel like he would have to respond in a manner that you approve of to benefit you. The third one is worldly sorrow. This is the one that you see everywhere. And this is the one that probably confuses the church a little bit. Worldly sorrow, and and Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I perceive that you have worldly sorrow or worldly grief. And non-Christians can feel bad, church. Non-Christians, they have a conscience. They understand when they've done something wrong. All right? And as they see that they've done something wrong, what happens is they feel bad, but there's no change of heart. They just feel bad. There's There's no change that goes inside of them. There's no type of remorse. There's no type of understanding that what they've done wrong has offended a holy God. It's just worldly sorrow. So do not repent like that, church. The fourth false type of repentance is mere confession. And this one's actually a little bit difficult to deal with as well. Mere confession is whenever someone acknowledges sin, but there's no repentance of sin. There's no change of mind. And see, this one's always confusing because as brothers, we should be holding each other accountable. We should be restoring one another whenever someone is in sin, right? So you go to someone and you say... Hey, you know, I love you, man. I've, I've been, you know, we've been going to fellowship hall and, 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 um, you know, I, I see you recognize a sin. I, you know, I don't want to point something specific out, but you recognize a sin. Let's say this individual is living in a fornicating relationship and you know about it. Not because you've been the judge on the corner, just trying to peep this guy out, but you notice it because you're in fellowship with this guy. All right. You talk to this guy, you conversate with this guy. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to do it no more. I don't want to do it because i love god and god has called me out of darkness he's he's reconciled me back to him and i don't want to live like that no more he's got a repentant heart so so you think and then you confront him on it and they say yeah i know what i'm doing is wrong man yeah thanks for letting me know i gotta stop that <laughs> and you're like great this is awesome he recognized his faults and then next week it's like dude what happened are you is everything all right and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah man, I, I know, I know, I'm, I'm doing it again, man, I'm, I'm, you know. And you know what? You can have a little bit of grace there, but whenever it's a week after week after week after week and it's the same sin, you begin to say, man, you're just mere confessing. You're not repenting. You're not having a heart change. You're not turning to God. You're not leaving your sin. You're just recognizing that what you're doing is wrong. And if you loved God the way that he loved you first, you would run from it. So you actually blaspheme the name of God because you're saying that you love him and you're saying that you are grateful for his grace and you're grateful for his mercy and you don't want to live this way no more, but yet you still go back to it. Where's the brokenness? And when I say there's grace and there's leeway there to a degree, because I understand that we are are fallen. And I understand even though that you've been called out of darkness and you've, been, you've got this new nature and you shouldn't be a practicing sinner and, and, you sh- and you shouldn't be habitually sinning. I do understand that some people struggle with something and you can tell through counseling if that individual is really broken and really wants to be restored. And we'll talk about true repentance and how we as a church can help these individuals get to a place where they don't keep falling and tripping up on the same thing. And as you give them that counsel, leaders, don't just give them counsel that says this is what you should do, but give them tasks and certain things to protect them from that sin and make sure you hold them accountable to the place where that you, you asked them about it. Look, man, we talked about this, and, and I recommended that you do this because you came to me for counsel, and I think this is the best thing for you so that you don't fall back into that sin. Have you done it? Hold them accountable to it. See what they say. You'll know if they're just mere confessing. I have a situation that I'm going to speak speak to you about in in regards to uh, um, a recent situation, and and I'll, I'll spare names, but a brother of mine was living in a fornicating relationship. And, you know, we confronted him on his sins because he wanted to be confronted with sins. He wants to live for God. And we ask him about it, and, you know, we meet, we meet weekly. So, you know, we have the opportunity to, to ask him how life is going. You know, you ask me how life is going. How's life going with you? How's your walk with God? How's your prayer time? How's your reading time? Everything going well? Awesome. That's great. I love you, brother. But when you hear that he's fornicating, you're like, okay, well, what are we going to do about this? You understand that this is unacceptable as a, as a child of God for you to continue to walk in that type of behavior. Yeah, I do understand. I do want to do something about it. Cool. Next week, everything's good. next week, everything's good, next week, everything's good. and then a month later it's falling again, okay? You know you know we as a child of God, fornicating is something that's offensive to God. It's something that's dishonouring that individual. It's done, you're sinning against your own stuff, you're sinning against God the whole nine. A couple times, you get to the place where you're like, all right, now I want to help you because obviously you, you, you keep falling into this. Obviously, you're not leaning on Christ, so what can we do to help you because you're going to keep falling? Brother, I don't know. Tell me what I can do, whatever it takes. That's the type of response you want from a brother, whatever it takes. So we set up different things. Make a long story short. This individual did some things that probably most people would not do, but he did it because he loved God. And he put things in place to where it's going to be hard for him to fall into that sin again. And he did it specifically because he knew that it would make it harder for him to fall into that sin again. And he really doesn't want to. He's running away from it, church. That's the type of response that we should want. That is indication that someone's not just mere confessing their sin, but they really do want to change. The fifth one, church, is blame shifting. Adam blame shifted, didn't he? And then Eve blame shifted, didn't she? What have you done, Adam? This defective woman you gave me. Yeah, what's up with that? And Eve's like, no, it's the doggone serpent. It was the serpent's fault. Truth be told, they were both in sin. They both sinned against God and they both should have confessed in a manner that showed that, look, I understand what I did and I was wrong. And ladies, that's not a knock on you because Adam was the head of his house and he's without excuse. He should have been leading Eve better. Amen? So, whenever you, some of you may be guilty of this. I know that I've been guilty of this because you're so self-righteous or I'm so self-righteous. You lose your temper You get a little angry, and it's not the type of anger without sin, but it's angry with sin. Well, they shouldn't have done that. If they wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't. That's blame shifting. You have an unrepentant heart, and you shouldn't do that. You should recognize your flaws and turn from them. Trust me, it would go easier in your household, husbands. I promise you. Minimizing is the sixth one. Minimizing, you always got the Hitler button, you know? It's like, yeah, I did that, but at least I'm not. Yeah, I'm fornicating, but at least I'm not with multiple girls. Really? You're minimizing your sin because it makes you feel better, but you're not repenting of your sins. You haven't had that heart change. As a matter of fact, You're justifying your actions. And then the last type of false repentance, do not repent like this, is excuse making. Yeah, I did it, but I had a rough upbringing. Yeah, I stole from my boss, but they don't pay me enough. I'm worth more than what they pay me. You make excuses for the reason why you do the things you do. You make excuses for why you're sinning. And church, it's unacceptable. Sin is and, and you know, I think what helped me, and, and hopefully it helps you, is whenever you realize and, and you imagine, whenever you're sinning, it's it's that sin that you are willingly participating in that puts your savior on the cross. That should that should stir something inside of you. That should develop a hatred of sin because what Christ did on the cross is beautiful but whenever you see the picture of how humanity handled Christ it's horrific and it's just always helped me to say man why why would i do that that's what put Christ on the cross i love jesus why would i do that that just helps me that's my personal motivator so you can use it if you want to now we're going to talk about true repentance This is how you should be repenting, church. It's a little bit of a process, but nonetheless, it goes back to the simple, you have to have a change of mindset, and you have to turn away from your sins and back to God. But I believe that if this process could help you understand a little bit more about repentance. Um, First of all, we've all sinned against God, and we sin against others, and you will do it again. That's not a pass. I'm not trying to minimize it, but even though we've been redeemed from destruction, church, we still have a carnal nature. And and it should bother you when you sin against God, and it should bother you when you sin against someone else. But for you to say that it's never going to happen again, I think you're being entirely too optimistic. (laughs) Right? Because the reality remains that you have not received a glorified body. One day you will, church. And that's the blessed hope. That's what keeps us going for... The book of 1 John says that you know It's not yet been revealed who we are But one day we will see him for who he is And we'll be just like him Oh glorious day Amen That's what we long for That's our hope that keeps us going But in the meantime You need to understand what you do With the sin Whenever you sin against someone Or you sin against God So since the fall of Adam We're all sinners by nature And by also by choice Um So step one of the five steps in order to really be repentant. (laughs) That's funny, right? It makes sense. I'll get through here. The first step is conviction. All right? You should be convicted of sin. You're fornicating? Conviction. Treating your parents wrong? Conviction. You stole something? Conviction. You're lying? Conviction. Treating people rudely, you're being selfish, you're being prideful, conviction. You should have conviction, church. Convictions from the Holy Spirit. God has given you a conscience, but then the Holy Spirit works in to show you what your sin really is. And what it means before holy God. So when you have conviction, what do you do? Do you just ignore it? Do you just keep it right here because no one else knows you're convicted? So you put on your little fake smile and just keep going about your day? I hope not. When you're convicted, you should thank God for that conviction because he's the one convicting you. Church, let me tell you something. Whenever someone's living in blatant sin and practicing sin, they're under the condemnation of God. Because the Holy Spirit is not convicting them. That's a scary place to be. They're being given over. So if you ignore your conviction, you're spitting in God's face. Don't do it. Praise him. Thank him for allowing you to be convicted. Thank him for bringing this this remorse on your heart. And then what do you do with it? Step two, you confess. You confess your sins. You confess your sins to the ones you've sinned against, and you confess your sins to God. And let me tell you, church, you always have to confess to God because you're always sinning against him. Now, it may be an individual sin you're dealing with. Let's say if you're dealing with immoral thoughts and you know that it's sexually immoral thoughts, you don't need to go up to that person you were thinking about that's a stranger and say, hey, I'm sorry. I just thought something about you, all right? You don't need to do that. I promise you, you'll end up in a white jacket somewhere and people won't be coming to visit you. But you do need to repent of that Before God. You should repent of your thought, words, and deeds. If you're thinking things that are ungodly, repent quickly for it. It's important because this is what happens when you don't. If you think it's just between you and and it's not a big deal, you don't need to repent of it. It escalates. And it's in dark. It's in the darkness. At the very least, you should repent to one of your brothers, according to James 5.16. Someone who's faithful, who's going to hold you accountable. Someone who's going to help you and pray with you. So confession, you confess, step two. You confess to the people you've sinned against and you confess to God. That's what you do with the sin. And you name it. Name it. God, I know I shouldn't have treated my mom that way today. All she did was ask me to clean my room and I acted like a complete idiot. I said things that would just, just cut her apart. And young people, that should bother you. If it doesn't, that's a scary place to be. And then when you're done confessing to God, you need to go confess to your mom because she's probably hurt. Amen. The third step is repentance. The third, third step in repentance is repentance. So you get convicted about it, you confess it, and then you turn away from it. You have that change of heart. You have that change of mind. You have that remorse and that reverse in your direction. That's how you respond to it. It's a, it's a heart change and a mind change. You, you, it changes how you view God in your life. It changes the values you have. We have to get to a place where we turn to Jesus and away from our sins. That's the third step. And the fourth step is restitution. Don't be alarmed by the word. It just means to make things right. Alright? In Ephesians two ten, it says that God has good works that are prepared for us, that He's prepared that He works in us and that He's prepared before time. See, we should have these good works, and we should have a mindset to do these good works, not because we're trying to seek his approval, but because we are approved. You see, because he loved us first, and he died for us, and he's called us out of darkness, he's, he's granted you repentance, now you should, you should walk in those good works that he prepared before time. And part of those good works is restitution. You've sinned against someone, you've hurt their feelings, you've, you've broken fellowship and relationship, so now what are you going to do? You're going to begin to work on damage control. Because you love them. For instance, you stole $5 for somebody. You get convicted about it. You confess of it. You have a change of mind. Now what are you going to do? You're going to give them back at least $5. I would hope you give them 10 That's restitution, right? First, you, you ask for their forgiveness, and they forgive you, and everything's right. They don't even ask you for money back because they really did forgive you. But you go the extra step to say, I want to I want to repay that. I'm sorry. I I really am. And I know you've forgiven me and I'm really grateful that you forgave me. But I I still want to want to give you five bucks, ten bucks back. It's very important. We should not overlook that Zacchaeus in the book of Luke. Chapter 19 and verse eight. Zacchaeus went above and beyond the law. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, so he was robbing everybody. He, he just took everybody's money, and he did it with the protection of the of the uh, authorities above him. So he was cool with it, and nobody was nobody could really say anything to him. But whenever he was converted, whenever he became repentant, whenever Jesus called him out of darkness, there was a heart change, and in that heart change. It came to the place of restitution, he gave, I'll read it, it's in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That was his heart. He wanted to make things right to the best of his ability. And it showed, see, what restitution does is it shows that you really are repentant. It shows that's whenever you're counseling someone and they're, they're saying they don't want to live in this sin anymore, more and you recommend this book or you recommend this prayer or you recommend this scripture or you recommend these duties. Whatever the case is, you just know that this is best for this individual to keep them, you know, to help them not go back into that sin. If they start doing that in your next counseling session, they say, yeah, I've read everything you told me to re- read. I haven't done those things you didn't tell me to do because I know that you were trying to help me and that was good counsel. And yes, we're good. We're on track. Now that individual is showing that they really have been repentant for what they've done. It's an indicator. It's not flawless, but it's an indicator. Now, on the other hand, if that individual comes back into your counseling meeting, I i, I, didn't, read, I didn't read it because I didn't have time to read it. And it's like, dude, how much do you care? I didn't tell you to do this because I think it sounds good. You've been depending on your own righteousness. You've been depending on your own ability for too long. If you're coming for counseling, do something that I'm telling you to do. If you're not really repentant, then you're just wasting my time. And I love you, and I'll counsel with you, and I'll pray with you. I want to see what's best for you, but don't trample upon the counsel that I give you and come to me as if though you're repentant, but you have no type of restitution because you really aren't. And then the last step in, in true repentance would be the reconciliation step. Now, reconciliation takes two parties. You can get all the way up to reconciliation and and the repentance process, if you will. You can be convicted of sin, praise God. You can confess sin by His grace. You can turn from it by His grace. And you can participate in restitution because He's good. And then once it comes to reconciliation, if they're not willing to forgive you, you're not going to be reconciled. But you will always be reconciled back to God. Because God says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if you go to God and you say, God, I know what I've done is wrong and I know that I shouldn't do it. And it's wrong because your word says that it's wrong. And I know it's an offense to you. And I don't want to continue to live a life that's making a mockery of you. People are blaspheming your name because of me. I say I know you, but I don't serve you. Please forgive me, God. Help me. You will be reconciled to God. Because he's good. And on the other hand, whenever you confess to a brother or a sister, they may hold a grudge. And you should pray for them. And they should repent of that grudge. Amen? Amen? So, the last question I have... Before I try to call you all to repentance. Some of y'all need it. When do we repent? Church, we repent when we're convicted of sin. And you should be specific about what you're repenting for to the best of your ability. Whenever you know that you've offended God or you've offended someone else, you should repent. You should. Give me a reason why you shouldn't after church, and then we'll talk about it. Because reasons not to is maybe because you're self-righteous, and you're like the religious repenter. Maybe you think that you don't owe them an apology for the way you've treated them in the last year because you're better than they are. You should repent. And church, because of the fall of Adam, we all have sin, violators of God's law. We think things that we shouldn't think. We do things that we shouldn't do. There's things that we know we should be doing that we're not doing, and those are sins of omission. Some of us practice sin. Some of us have very sinful mindsets and keep it secretive to ourselves. Because we are sinners and violators of God's law, we have to turn to the Savior in order to be redeemed. And I want to touch on it more. The initial repentance is unto conversion, but and some of, some of y'all some of y'all are in a great relationship with God. You've repented, you've been converted, and you're in good standing with God. And that's awesome. Now it's not a matter of you trying to repent so that you can be saved and you're, and you're worried about losing your salvation every time you do something, every time you fumble. You should be broken and you should deal with it. But you shouldn't be self-condemning. God doesn't want you to walk on eggshells like that. He understands you need grace. If you didn't, you wouldn't need a savior. But others of you, you're not in a relationship with God. You sin willingly, and you're not convicted of it. You practice sin, and you feel no remorse. You merely confess whenever someone comes to you in love. That's a brother or sister in the church, and they're calling you to repentance because they love you, and they want to see you restored to God. You merely confess. And then we get confused. Do they know what they're doing is wrong? They keep saying they love Jesus. But they keep doing it. Church, I'm calling you to repentance. If that is you, I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to lay down what you're holding on to. I don't know why you're holding on to it. Or is it holding on to you? If you're convicted of it, repent of it, confess it. Do it today. Today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow. If God is convicting you of sin right now, I challenge you to openly, publicly confess it on this altar. Turn to Jesus and away from your sins once and for all. Run to the Savior. He is mighty to save. He will restore you. He will change you. You'll never be the same again. You'll be brought into the family of God, into relationship with the community of God. Just as Pastor Robert said this morning, we pray every week that there's something we say or do by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that touches you and changes you for all of eternity. Because nothing else matters, church. When it's all said and done, you stand before God and you are judged. Do you stand before him as a son or a daughter? Or do you stand before him holding up your banner of your own self-righteousness that has no merit at all in the kingdom of God? Whatever sin it is, if that conviction is sitting with you now, repent. You don't have to hold on to it. You know what God did for us? When God sent his son, you know, sometimes preachers make such a big deal about Christ being beaten. Some of the apostles had a worse death, had a worse martyrdom than Christ had. Do you know the significance of Christ on the cross? Is that it was a great exchange where God put his wrath for the sins of all of humanity on Jesus Whenever I think about Christ being beaten, and I think about his scourging, and I think about all of that, it doesn't make me say, wow, he did that for me. No, no. It makes me say, wow, I can't believe man is that sinful that they would do that to somebody. But the fact that God put my sins on him, that he bore my sins, that he sent him who knew no sin to be sin, that I might be the righteousness of God, what makes the cross beautiful church. That's what makes it significant because you can't go to heaven on your own. You can't do anything to get there. You need Jesus. He had to die for you. He had to die for me. There would have been no reconciliation back to God. There would have been no relationship restored between you and the God that created you. get it church if you're convicted please respond salvation is a work of God and I understand that but in his providence you are here today he brought you here to hear this sermon today and that is grace what are you going to do about the conviction that is stirring in your heart right now. What are you going to do about the weight of the sin that you have not repented of? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to leave the same way you came in? Unrepentant? Hiding it right here as if though you can because other people don't recognize it? God knows. God's aware. He's calling you to repentance today. He's stretching out a merciful hand to you, saying, here I am, repent. Come to me as you are, and I will make you whole. I will bring you into fellowship with me and my body for all of eternity. Church, I love you, of me brought forth a word by your spirit and God you know who you're convicting you know who you're calling unto you the significance is not in them coming the call to repentance is personal, and it's not something you should respond to if you're not serious about following God, but I promise you, if you're convicted of something, it's God, it's God convicting you, and I make one last plea to you, to come to the altar, that one of the leaders might be able to pray with you, Thank